Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So this is week number two in our Proverbs series. It's good to see your faces. You made it out of bed. Uh, the time change does hit a little bit uh, hard, uh, but uh, we're going to make it. All right? Amen? Amen. Amen. You're with me. Okay, t- so timeless. Uh, the message today is timeless advice about work. Timeless advice about Work. So you can turn to Proverbs 10 uh, in your Bibles. And today we're going to talk about two kinds of people. We're going to talk about the person who refuses to work and the person who wins at work. So there's two types of people, those who refuse to work and those who win at work. Now, I didn't say this last week, so I want to make sure I say it this week, that Proverbs aren't guarantees, So when you're reading through the book of Proverbs, it's healthy for you to understand that they're not guarantees. What Proverbs are is is it's God telling us this is the wisest way to live if you want good results. Now, sometimes we do the right things. We live the right ways, but sometimes we don't get the results that we're after, and that's because the world is broken by sin. And so because we live in a world that is broken, there are moments where even though we do the right things, We don't get the results that we want. Now, even though that that is a reality, it's still wise for us to apply the wisdom in this book. And as we talk today about work, we need to remember that we reflect God well when we do our work well. When I do my job well, I reflect my Father in heaven well. Now, You might have some questions. I want to answer a couple questions before we move forward that some people might have, which is, first one is, what if I'm not working? If you're not working, your job is to find a job. That is what you are to do. That is the answer to that question. What if I'm a student? That is your job. If I'm in university, if I'm in school, high school, whatever it is, my job is to be a solid, good Student, what if I don't like my work? What if I hate my job? Sergio says, suck it up. I'm going to be a bit more gracious than that. (laughs) Trust God's providence over your life. Where you are is not accidental. God has you there. And if you don't like it, maybe you're thinking, I'm going to make a move at some point. That's fine, but But honor the Lord in how you work and your attitude there. And if you're moving on, leave that space, that job well. So you honor the Lord in that. What if I can't work? Maybe there's something in my life. There's a disability or something going on that makes it so I cannot work. Well, I want you to know and understand that you are not to feel like you're less than others. That again, because we live in a world that is broken by sin... 
There's things that are in our, that come to our life that God will make right ultimately when he makes all things new. And in that new creation, in that new reality, we are all going to get to engage in beautiful, fruitful work. Your body will be made new. Everything will be made right. And so you hold on. What if I'm a stay-at-home parent? Your home is your job. Managing the home, taking care. That's where God has you. That is your job. What if I'm retired? We're all jealous. <laughs> Dead serious, right? Some days it's like, man, I wish you could just shut this baby right down. If you're retired, though, you still have a job to do, to spread the gospel. There is still work to be done to spread the, the truth about Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to serve your family, to serve your church. And those who are retired and older, the church needs you. And sometimes we can communicate a little bit like those who are a little older in age, that they're just supposed to be pushed to the side, that we don't need them. But you got to hear from me as your pastor. We need those older that older generation, you've lived life. There's wisdom that we need from you. There's that mentorship that we need help to walk through certain things that we just don't fully understand. And so the church is not to set our older folks to the side. We have to invite them in, just kind of cozy up to them and say, teach me. One of the biggest differences that, that sort of God did in my life was when that guy right there, Pastor Dennis, stepped into my life. He sat me down one time in a Tim Hortons and he's like, Marv, I love you. But here are all the ways you are like not doing great. Right? Now anytime somebody starts with I love you, you know something bad's about to come up, right? You just kind of duck. But then, and this is why I love that brother, is because he then became a part of the solution. He told me what the problems were, but then he helped walk with me. And we just met on Wednesdays. And he just talked me through and he gave me a whole bunch of stuff. Now, I didn't do everything. But some of the things that were there just helped me. He's like, you're a good preacher, but here are all the ways that you're a bad preacher. And, but he walked with me. And so we need, we, we need to invite that into our life, those who are older than us, and be willing to humble ourselves and receive, to say, I don't have it all figured out. And I need somebody to speak into my life. What if I'm overwhelmed with work? What if my job just feels like a wave? It's, a, it's just, I, I feel like I cannot handle it. Then you are to tell God and tell your church. Right? We put things before you every week. We say, fill out the care card. Let us know what is going on. That, that's the heart behind that is we want to pray for you. We want to support you. You talk to the Lord if you feel overwhelmed and talk to the community of faith that you are part of and get the help and support that you need. What if my work feels meaningless? When I look at my job and the thing that I'm doing, I'm like, ah, oh, this just this doesn't feel like it's, it's making that much of a difference. Well, here's the thing. Your job may not affect the world, the community, and the culture the way someone else's job does, but your work is not meaningless because you can please God in your work. He delights in, in us working and working well. And we need to know that work is part of God's good creation. Genesis 2 says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work was always there. It's there from the very beginning. That is what God set Adam to 
do. See, work is good, but here's the thing. Work is hard because of sin. It is a good thing, but it's hard because of sin. Genesis 3 says, and he said to the man, the ground is, is cursed because of you. So it's our fault. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Every job is hard, even if it's your dream job. And you see it because it's in the text, painful labor. If you've ever wondered, why is my boss so bad? Why are my coworkers so annoying? Why am I such a bad boss sometimes? Why am I such a bad coworker sometimes? It's because the world is broken. It says that work is painful. It's painful labor. Also says that there's thorns. See, sometimes you put the work in and the results that you get is not what you're expecting. There's thorns. And this helps us not to despair in our work. When things aren't going the way that we're expecting, a verse like this helps us because it tells us there's nothing wrong with my effort. There's something wrong with the world that I'm in. It is broken by sin. And we got to remember also that in our work, we're not in it just for the results. We're in it for the glory of God. Colossians 3.23 says, work heartily for the Lord and not for men. I get up every day and I go to that, whatever it is, and I'm saying, I'm stepping into this for the Lord. I work for him. That said, let's look at the person who won't work. The person who won't work. Here's the first thing. The person who is not willing to work, refuses to work, is irritating. That person is irritating. I told you to turn to Proverbs 10. Look at verse 26. It says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. This person is sent to do a job, but they don't get it done. They do half the job. This is like hiring a contractor who, who sort of works through your house, does a whole bunch of things, and then you go to use the toilet and you realize they put it on crooked. And so you're trying to do your thing kind of rock. That's, that's annoying. It's irritating that that person would do that. They're described as vinegar to the teeth. This is it's trying to give you this picture of this acidic taste that makes you pull away, smoke to the eyes. Think about when you got smoke in your eyes. For those of us who go camping, I would never do that. But the people who camp, right, camping doesn't make any sense, right? You go work hard for your food and sleep on rocks. Yeah. But if you're into it, it's fine. It's all love. I don't want to balance that. Smoke to the eyes. Right? When you get smoke in your eyes, right? it's annoying. You, you rub. You want, you want it to, you're trying to fan to get it away as fast as possible. This person is described as irritating and painful. And it, what the Bible is doing is it's giving a good word to employers. It's telling employers that you are to really evaluate the character of a person before you hire them. Don't just let anybody do a job for you. Check their character. You're going to save yourself a ton of pain and frustration if you look into their character and look into their previous history and say, is this someone that I should have join 
my team. The person who won't work is irritating. They're also entitled. Turn with me to Proverbs 20. I'm going to have you turn a little bit or scroll, but turn to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, the sluggard does not plow in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. It's time to do work and the person is doing nothing. It's the season to put in hard work and effort and they're laid up. And then notice that they expect to receive something. You're like, where is it? It's right in the text. It says, they will seek at harvest and have nothing. The person does nothing and then goes looking for something. That just makes no sense. They will have nothing. And you got to watch for this attitude in your life, this attitude of entitlement, this thinking that things should be given to me without me doing anything for it. And parents, you want to really teach your child about this, to not develop this attitude of entitlement. That sort of child is very difficult to raise. That sort of child becomes a terrible adult. Because that attitude is hard to break. This I do nothing and expect to receive something. Entitlement is dangerous. We need to watch for it. So the person who won't work is entitled. They also make excuses. Turn to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26 verse 13 says, The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Now, in Palestine, where this is the culture of this day, you could run into a lion from time to time. There were moments where there, you, you, there was a lion in the street. But here's the thing. There wasn't so many lions that the possibility of it was extremely high. What this person is doing is they're making a weak excuse to avoid work. There's a lion outside. There isn't. There's a lion in the street. And people still do, it, do this today at their jobs. They look and they're like, well, that's not my department. Oh, I'm tired. I'll, I'll get to it in a little bit. See, the person who makes excuses is wise in their own eyes. The person who makes excuses, what's going on often is sometimes they're just afraid of failing at the job. Sometimes they're just afraid of fatigue. Work is hard. It takes something out of us. See, if work gets missed, and sometimes it does get missed, and that's okay. But if you miss work, if something doesn't get done, the excuse, the reason has to be legitimate. It has to be good. So that person who won't work makes excuses. They're also foolish. Turn back to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 30 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. 
and want like an armed man. Notice it says that this person lacks sense. They're not wise. They refuse. They have a piece of property, but they refuse to take, after, take care of it. It says that it's overgrown. It says that the, the wall that is to block the vineyard is broken down. And what that is, the Bible is saying is that now intruders, animals can just come in at will. The person who is, is foolish and irresponsible opens themselves up to danger in their work. See, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, we open up ourselves to being fired. We put ourselves in danger in our work. And this applies beyond work. The person who doesn't take care of their body, who doesn't rest, doesn't sleep, doesn't eat properly, opens themselves up to all kinds of health risks. The person who does not care for their friendships and their relationships opens themselves up to it falling apart. When we don't guard our heart and our minds and we allow anything to come in, the possibility of straying from our faith becomes very real. When we don't take our care of our community and our environment, we will reap the consequences of those things. See, what the Bible's trying to tell you is that neglect leads to disorder. Neglect leads to disorder. When we neglect to pay our bills, when we neglect our child, when we neglect our schoolwork, when we neglect our homes, we won't have a life that is peaceful and organized. We will have a life that is frustrating and disorganized. See, the person who, who, uh, who does not uh, care for their child has to live with a rebellious and, and frustrating child. The person who doesn't take care of their bills has to live through debt collectors calling them. The inability to, to even get somebody to trust you with credit going forward. The person who does not take care of their schoolwork, there's no graduation. And you got to call home and say, I wasted all your money or the government's money. No care for your home, then it's messy, it's full of clutter. Foolish behavior leads to poverty and want. That the Hebrew word in the, in the text for want actually means to lack basic needs. And so the Bible's saying, if you are foolish in your work, you will have a difficult time to even take care of your basic needs. God is telling us to be responsible. Now here's something that's important in the text. This is not saying no rest at all. Notice it says a little sleep, a little slumber. It's not saying no rest at all. We are to rest. God rested and he calls us to rest. Now, resting is not easy in our gig economy. You know that's what we live in? We live in a gig economy. You can work all day and drive Uber all night and get no rest and wonder why you're a beast the next day for people to try to live with. We are to rest. Genesis 2, 2 said, God rested from all his work. God makes everything out of nothing. And then he steps back and he's like, it's good. It's good. good. Jesus looks at his disciples in Mark 6 and he says, come away with me and rest a while. We are to 
rest. One of the things I love about Jesus is that this brother knows how to take a nap. You read the Gospels, he's just sleeping everywhere. He's like a baby in a car seat, right? Just car moves the other way, the head just... Right? Once they, once they settle into that car seat, you could drive for like six hours. Just, oh. And you see Jesus. He's just in boats, sleeping. And what he's doing is he is modeling for us the importance of rest. See, we are called as believers to pray without ceasing, but we're not called to work without ceasing. We are to, somebody should have said amen there. Yogi said, mm, but I want amens, brother. We are to rest. See, when we rest, what we're doing is we're acknowledging our limitations. We're saying, God, you are the only one that can keep going and going and going. You know the Energizer Bunny? That commercial is a lie. God is the only one that has no limitations. When we rest, it gives us a chance to evaluate. We look at our work and we say, how, is, how am I doing at that? How's it going? How's my work affecting the rest of my life? I step back and I say, like, how is this thing creeping in somewhere that's taking away from this area? I get to assess. I get to evaluate. How am I doing with God? I get a chance when I rest to enjoy God. Notice Jesus says, come away with me. It's a time to stop and enjoy who God is and what he means to us. It's a time to enjoy family and just, and just be with those people who love you, who are going to hold you down when nobody else is willing to do that. It's a time to enjoy friends. It's a time to enjoy some good food. You knew that was coming. I'm in the food. And just delight in what God gives to us. And what it does when we rest is that it re-energizes us for the work to come. It gets us ready for what is in front of us. See, rest is good. But you know what's not good? The person who never gets up. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 14. It says, as a door turns on its hinges. Yeah, Victor, you see it, brother. So does the sluggard on his bed. Notice, the only time this person moves is to get more comfortable. As a door turns on its hinges, they're just trying to get comfy. See, it's good for us to get enough rest, but then we've got to get up and get after it. We've got to get up and get to it. Sleep is our friend. Say, my friend. My friend. But laziness is your enemy. Say, my enemy. Sleep is your friend, laziness is our enemy, and the person who wins at work, they get this. The person who wins at their job gets this. Let's talk about that person. The person who wins at work is driven. They are driven. Turn to Proverbs 16. Verse 26 says, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. See, this, this person is motivated because they know they have needs that have to be met. And that is enough for them to get busy. The, the, the verb here, urge, has the idea of pressing hard 
into something. This person, what they get is they really get 2 Thessalonians 3.10. says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Right, Sergio. If anyone is unwilling to work, let him not eat. The person who lacks drive in their job has forgotten that they have basic needs that have to be met. And so often when you get close to that person, you realize they're hoping somebody else will meet it for them. Lazy people are that way. I just want somebody to do this for me. I want somebody to like take care of this. And we are called to be responsible so that we can provide for ourselves and doing that takes effort. The person who wins at work is driven. The person who wins at work is also focused. Proverbs 28, 19 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. See, when you're focused at work, you get good results. When you're distracted at work, you get bad results. And the person who's focused, what they're doing is they're applying consistent effort and they will always have enough. There's lots of things that can distract you at your job. Workplace gossip, the, the trying to manipulate your way up the ladder. Distractions will always be there, but staying focused always brings beautiful results. This diligence and focus is seen in the life of Jesus Christ. John 4, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They're in the midst of the, the ministry and the mission that God has given to Jesus. And, he's, and, he's, and they're like, eat, it's, let's eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus Christ, completely focused on the job given to him by his father. See, Jesus is the ultimate winner at work. And that's because of his diligence. And on the cross, it looks like Jesus is losing. It looks like he's losing as he's hanging there. He's been beaten. He is, he, is, he is bleeding, having a hard time trying to breathe. It looks like he is losing, but in that moment, he is winning. And that's why in the end, he looks and he says, it is finished. He accomplishes his work because he stays focused on the task. And you know what happens? You and I have some beautiful results in our life now because of that. All because of his settled commitment to get the job done. He's focused. He won. And now we get to stand in his victory. So the person who wins that work is focused. They're also diligent. Turn to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 12, 24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to force labor. The diligent person meets their goals. And diligence leads to greater freedom. Do you know that? Diligence in your work leads to more freedom because when your work gets done, you can decide what you want to do. There's freedom that comes to our 
life. The student that chooses to work hard and to study and to put that effort in in advance, you know what they're not doing the night before the exam? They're not cramming. They're out enjoying time with friends. They're maybe just sitting back, relaxing, watching a movie and just getting ready for the next day. But you know what the person who isn't diligent is doing? They're probably cramming, full of fear and anxiety because they're like, I haven't put the work in. There's no freedom. Or they've just resigned to, I'm probably going to fail anyway, so meh. No freedom. Diligence can be hard, but it brings freedom and peace because the work is done. And notice also that the diligent person is entrusted with more. The diligent person is entrusted with more. It says the hand of the diligent will rule. The person who lacks diligence is forever taking orders. The person who is diligent gets to give them. And so we are to put the effort in. The diligent person, Shayon pointed this out this week as we we're talking about the sermon. The diligent person sacrifices benefits in the present for greater benefits in the future. You're sacrificing now, but there's greater benefits in the future. And so many people, what they tend to think is that the diligent person just got lucky. But they didn't get lucky. They put the effort in. So they're diligent, the person who wins at work. The person who wins at work is also skillful. Turn, this is the last spot I'm getting you to turn to, Proverbs 22. The person is skillful. Proverbs 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. The Hebrew word for skill has this idea of, of speaking about diligence, or sorry, um, my mind, my brain's coming. I don't have it all sort of written word for word here, but watch, it's coming. Skillful combines doing it well and getting it done quickly. That's the Hebrew word there. It's saying that they, they do it well and it happens fast. And to be skillful, we got to keep working at our craft. And notice that when you're skillful in your job, it takes you places. You see it in the text? I'm always trying to show you it's from the word. Look, it says he will stand before, he or she will stand before kings. A job well done gets you noticed. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should, he should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted. Ooh. Beautiful. And as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry, he should sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth would pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper. You do it so well, your craft, that, it, that makes somebody stop and say, wow, that is done well. See, don't be okay with just being okay at your job. Do what is necessary. Take the, what is offered to you, whatever advantages there are there to grow in your skill. Christians need to be people who lead the way in their field. And sometimes we can just get settled with, it's okay that it's, it's okay. But it's not. If you read the Old Testament, you get a sense that God is like, when they're building the tabernacle, you know what God says? He says, get the person who's skillful. Get the person who's, who weaves in these ways. 
God cares. He cares about the skill, wants us to do things well. Again, when we do our job well, we reflect our Father in heaven well, who does everything, everything with excellence. Everything God puts his hand to is done with excellence. But I want us to be aware that there's dangers to avoid. See, when we do our job well, we get noticed. That's, a, that's this idea of success starts to come. But there are dangers to avoid in that. And the first one is finding our value and worth in the success. We, it's easy when success comes to say, that is the thing that makes me valuable. That is the thing that gives me worth in the world. And the Bible says that is not what gives Christians worth and value. What gives us worth and value is that we are loved by the Father. We are his. We belong to him. Our value and worth comes from who we are because of uh, Jesus Christ. And so we don't find our value and worth in our success. Here's the other one. Never develop your skill without developing your character. Never work so hard at being skillful and good at something that you neglect the character part. Because no matter how much success you have, if you are lacking character, it's going to go bad. It's going to go bad for you. It's going to go bad for the people around you. Because skill and success, what they bring if we lack character is arrogance and pride. And so we want to develop our character. See, what we do matters. Who we are matters even more. Let me say that again. What we do matters. God cares. But who we are matters even more. Our character is even more important, and character comes. We grow and mature in character by spending time with Jesus Christ. Because we watch this brother who is skillful but is full of character. His integrity is deep. His love for people is unmatched. And so he shows us the way. This is how we are to be. Skillful, yes, but mature in Christ. Someone people can trust and rely on. Doing our job well is important. And we are to encourage this in one another as a church. We are to encourage one another to do our job well because God expects it and it pleases him. Dorothy Sayers, she says, the church approach to the Christian carpenter is usually confined, the word confined is important here, to exhorting him not only to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. She's saying that sometimes that's, that's just where it stops. Just don't get drunk. And that is important. And to gather with the saints is important, but she hits something here. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. The results, do your job well. Martin Luther says this, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on shoes, right, you see it, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. He cares. 
And when we do our job well, it's a witness. Because people look and they say, what is causing you to put this much effort? Why do you care so much? You look at them and you say, because I love the Lord who does everything well. And so I'm following his example that he sets down in Scripture, making good shoes because he cares about good craftsmanship. God cares about our work, so it's wise for us to take it seriously, do it well. And when we are driven, focused, diligent, and skillful, it is a way to love our neighbor. Have you put work in those categories? That this is a way I can love my neighbor. Why? Because they benefit from my good, careful, intentional effort. Success comes when we commit to these things. And I'm grateful for Kalen, who pointed this out to me as we were talking about the message this week. All our success is because of God. See, it's very easy, again, for us to start to think that my success is because of me. But we, when, we're, when we do these things, we will win at work, yes, but it's because of God. 1 Corinthians 7 says, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about that. Everything in your life is because of the grace of God. All of your workplace success, if you're experiencing that, is because of God. Even the unbeliever has workplace success because of the common grace of God. Because he gives grace. And to the unbeliever, you're experiencing the common grace of God, but you will experience even more grace from God if you believe the gospel. You place your faith in Jesus Christ who did all things well. He lived perfectly for us, died in our place for all our rebellion and sin. Success in our work is because of God's grace. And so we give him thanks. We give God thanks, remembering though, that he has called us to an even greater work. We have an even more important job to do. The job, the work of making disciples. See, I don't want you to leave here today just thinking, I'm going to just go be better at my job and that's it. That's important. But all of our work is in service to the work of making disciples. We do our work well to bless and love others, yes, but also to be able to give to the greatest work, the work of making disciples. We get our work done so that we can step away from that and step into the work that still needs to be done in our homes and in our community so we can have the freedom to spread the greatest message on earth that Jesus Christ has come and has finished his work and that if you trust in him, he gives you supernatural power to do your work and live a life that brings glory to God. That is our greatest work. And God has given us the power to do it. Because living in you is the Holy Spirit who empowers us for the work. If you agree, say let's get to work. Come on, if you agree, say let's get to work. Stand with me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ.
uh, who finished his work, who is truly our redeemer and has called us to honor him, honor you, Lord God, with our labors and to do our work in such a way that it brings glory to you and that it loves those who are around us. But God, we also know that you have given us an even greater job to do, the spreading of the gospel. And so I pray that you would help us to have hearts that want to labor well in both our physical work and the physical and spiritual work of helping others grow in Christ and helping others come to Christ for the first time. God, we thank you that we can pray this prayer to you. We thank you, Lord God, that you hear this prayer and that you will respond in your perfect timing for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.